0: The gospel lesson for this ninth Sunday after Pentecost is from the book of Luke, chapter 12, verses 32 through 40. And um, earlier in chapter 12, um, there's the parable of the rich fool who, um, in his abundance, builds bigger barns, um, not knowing that... uh, The very night his life would be demanded of him. So be rich toward God. And then the story about considering the lilies, uh, not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed like one of these. And now Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'd like to open my sermon with a reading from the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man, which is a reference to this glorious vision of a Messiah coming on clouds of glory. This is usually what people imagine when they think about the second coming of Christ. But now let me give you a condensed version of uh, Matthew 25, a section of Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. He will say to those at his right hand, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or a stranger? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. Jesus is indeed coming to us. Day after day, he comes to us. Someday, perhaps, we will see him coming on his clouds of glory, but every day, he comes to us in the hungry, the stranger, the prisoner. And as Luke says, like a thief in the night, the Son of Man is coming at an hour we do not expect. So our task is to be ready when Jesus comes. So how can we be ready? Well, I'd like to use gardening as a metaphor. Hit on the image a few weeks ago, and there's a lot of richness to it. Um, so you might hear me use it over and over again in, in the coming weeks and months. Um, okay, I'm not the first person who to recognize that agriculture is a great... Uh, metaphor, right? It's all through the, the Bible. So, so at any rate, um, let's, let's uh, go with it this morning. There are many kinds of gardens, just as we're all different. So our garden consists of uh, two uh, half-barrel shaped, uh, half-barrel containers, uh, and then a few other pots. So we do all container gardening uh, so that Rhonda can tend it. I'd like to show you some produce of our container gardening. I don't know if you can see it from there, but this is a cucumber, and that's as big as they get. Her parents' garden, on the other hand, up in Illinois, is something else entirely. They have something like a quarter acre Uh, And it's that good Illinois soil. And they've got rows of tomatoes and peppers and peas and beans and corn and cantaloupe and watermelons and strawberries and asparagus and I'm sure other things I can't remember. So whatever garden image you have in your mind, it's fine for this morning. But I'm thinking something more like my in-law's garden with that, that diversity of plants. They also have an orchard that they're trying to get going. Gardens have different plants for different seasons. Most are annuals, meaning that you have to plant them again and again every year. My father in law starts tomato plants from seeds indoors in about February, which is a, way too early. Way too early. And he'll say that too, but he does it anyway. The tomato plants then fruit at a certain time in midsummer, and then when they're done producing, they die. Other annuals produce earlier or later in the year. Other plants are perennials that take multiple years to produce, like asparagus and strawberries. And fruit trees are kind of the extreme example. They might take several years to start producing. Spring is a time for putting plants in the ground. As I said, my father-in-law starts his tomato plants indoors, then eventually transplants them to the garden. The biggest challenge for any gardener is timing. Too soon and your plants will die in a late frost. Too, too late and they'll scorch in the summer heat before they produce. You can look at the historical trends and plan, but you also have to be aware of local conditions and, and the uncertainties of the weather. You know, whatever the root cause, climate change is undeniable. And any farmer will tell you that they've uh, changed the way they do things To adjust for the the changing climate. What used to work fine is no longer appropriate. Growing seasons have been shifting around while weather extremes have become more unpredictable. You can think you've done everything just right and then still fail because the weather does something unexpected. In the same way, the spiritual climate has been shifting. Several centuries ago, the rhythms of daily life and the rhythms of Roman Catholic worship were deeply intertwined. These days, the spiritual and secular spheres are almost entirely separate. That forces each person to figure out how best to plant their spiritual garden by seeking spiritual and religious experiences and organizations. And in turn, each of those organizations, each church, needs to continually reinvent themselves and reinvent how they'll respond to the different forces acting on their parishioners' lives. Things that were once taken for granted, like people having Sunday set aside for worship, are simply untrue today. The climate is changing, but people still need the fruits of the Spirit, so God is still at work. Timing. What's the right time to plant something new in your spiritual garden? Only you can decide. I mean, you can look at the trends, but in the end, each person's spiritual life is their own. For example, many people turn to God in times of crisis, and that is totally appropriate and and wonderful because God comes near to the brokenhearted. When we're suffering, Often we're more open to God, we become more fertile soil. But in my case, I joined the church in 2008 and and really invested in it, and then in 2012, it had a crisis. I needed those deep roots grown during the, the springtime of my spiritual life in order to weather the storms that came later on. As another example, I just started a new position on campus as a department chair, so this is probably not the time to also add a new spiritual practice to my life. Instead, it's a time to continue the practice that are most helpful in growing my relationship with God. Which brings us to summertime in the garden. In the spring, the gardener prepares the soil, plants the plants. In the summer, The garden needs continual attention, weeding, watering, fertilizing, thinning, and pruning. If you grow things from seeds, it's typical to plant more seeds than you need plants because that's a hedge against poor germination. But it's it's critical to remove the extra plants so that the few plants you retain have the, the space and the resources to thrive. In the same way, some plants like blackberry bushes will naturally put too much energy into growing long branches and producing too many fruits, and so they need to be pruned so that they can produce quality fruit. Weeding is essential as well to make sure that the good plants have sufficient space and resources to grow. And then if all goes well, you'll be able to harvest from your garden throughout the summer. So this is about the time of year when I ask, why are we doing all this? I mean, gardening is a lot of work. If I want a tomato, I can go to Walmart any day of the year and buy a tomato. Well, Rhonda is a tomato snob. She won't eat those Walmart tomatoes. Those hothouse tomatoes, the hybrid tomatoes that are designed for size and appearance and their ability to be shipped around the country rather than for quality and taste and firmness like we get out of the garden. And and I'll admit that the, the tomatoes that she's able to grow even in our containers are superior to the ones at Walmart. And I think that's part of the answer to why we're here today. Yes, you can read books about God and you can pray at home and so forth. But it's in our encounters with each other that we achieve deeper, more meaningful, mutually reinforcing relationships with God and with each other. When we put our faith into practice, whether in worship or in service, we're toughening toughening it up and deepening it and ultimately producing better spiritual fruit. Of course, we have to resist the urge To turn the church into a greenhouse instead of a garden. It's tempting to focus on caring for each other and to not worry about what's going on in the world. It's tempting to treat this space as a refuge that's disconnected from the rest of our lives. It's essential that we bring our whole selves to God and also that we incorporate God into our whole selves, our work, our families, our community relationships, and so forth. That's how we water and weed and fertilize and tend our garden. We shouldn't only focus on God when it's convenient for us or treat God as someone we only turn to in times of need. Instead, we should be continually tending our garden in our personal summer times to produce fruit that will sustain us through our long, dark winters. Because we know that winter will come. So when we were visiting my in-laws recently, they had had tomatoes everywhere. Uh, More tomatoes than they could possibly eat in a month, let alone a day. Well, well, why? Well, someday soon, they're not going to be able to walk out to the garden and pick a tomato. Instead, they'll have to pull a jar off the shelf. So they turn the tomatoes into salsa and pasta sauce and tomato juice and chili sauce and other things that they can use throughout the cold, dark, dead winter. They're able to live off the produce of the summer throughout the winter, just as I was able to lean on God during my crisis because I had built my relationship with them during a summertime period in my life. So what season are we in as individuals and as a congregation? Well, we know that whatever season we're in, another one's coming. When winter comes, the tomato and cucumber and bell pepper plants die, but the well-prepared gardener doesn't. The gardener knows that the winter will come and prepares for it, but also knows that spring will come. Winter is not a time to mourn the loss of the garden, but a time to anticipate the new growth that will come with the spring. It's a time to lean on the produce of the summer while preparing what new things you will do in the spring. Let's return to Luke's gospel now. Jesus said, Blessed are those whom the master finds alert when he comes. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Most days, almost every day, Jesus comes to us not on clouds of glory, but as one of the least among us. He comes to us in the poor, the sick, the neglected, the outcast. Does he find us ready? Ask yourself, have I learned what I need to learn so that when I encounter someone in need, I have the spiritual depth to help them? Have I harvested some spiritual fruits from my garden so that I am ready For whatever comes my way so I know I talk about the mission a lot and I'm sorry to keep retreading the same path but the the plight of the homeless is very much front of mind in the community and it's also the place in my personal life where I encounter people in need so part of the challenge of homelessness is that the actual problems people have are not the problems that we think they have We might think that they're lazy or drug addicts or mentally ill, but the truth is that most people who are homeless find themselves in a bad situation with no safety net. They lose their job or can't find a job that pays enough to cover rent and utilities and all their living expenses, or they get divorced, or they need to flee from an unhealthy or abusive home, or have a medical emergency. So consider this, the main treatment that Rhonda takes for her primary progressive MS has a list price of over $68,000 annually. I couldn't possibly pay that without insurance. Cancer treatments often cost that much or more, sometimes much more, many multiples of that. My point is that people become homeless for a number of reasons. So I have educated myself and continue to educate myself on both the practical issues and the spiritual issues at play so that I can be compassionate and supportive when I encounter someone who is homeless. In a similar way, each year there are articles about the lived experiences of incoming college freshmen to help faculty and staff relate to them. I've never personally experienced racism or sexism, but there are books and articles I've read and podcasts I've listened to, to help me see the world through the eyes of blacks and Asians and women of all races. Those are the things that I do to fertilize and tend my spiritual garden. Producing good fruit requires more than just prayer and study and worship. It requires preparing yourself to receive Jesus however he comes to you, whatever age or ability or race or language or gender. Jesus will come. Will he find you ready? Well, if he does, we are promised that he will serve us at his heavenly banquet. Let us each strive to be prepared to meet Jesus, not just on the last day when we receive the promise of Easter, but on each day as we see God in the people we encounter. And let us turn now to the Lord's table to receive a foretaste of that heavenly banquet, the product of human hands that connects us with the divine food and drink of Jesus's body and blood. Amen.